welcome to our Perfecting Potatoes Together podcast brought to you by BASF. My name is Rebecca Dawes and in this year's series we will be travelling across the country to speak to growers, agronomists and independent experts to find out what's happening in the field, in the future and to share some top tips on how to perfect your potatoes. Today I'm joined by Matthew Steele. Matthew grew up and now manages his family farm in Forfar, which is in Angus in Scotland. And the farm is a combined crops, free range eggs and potatoes. They've also got some renewables. And although Matthew is very busy on the farm, he still finds time to fit in Next Generation Chair for NFU Scotland. Um, a very warm welcome, Matthew. Thank you. So, Matthew, tell us a little bit about um, the farm and your setup there in Angus. The farm is a family farm mostly owned. Uh, we rent some seasonal ground for the potatoes to kind of make it more efficient, you know, kind of economies of scale, that kind of thing. We're about uh, 440 hectares. We are just over 100 hectares of potatoes. That split in the potatoes is roughly two thirds pre-pack wear and a third seed. We used to be all seed up until about maybe 10 years ago and then we started going into the pre-pack wear market and then that's steadily grown. 10 years ago we only grew about at maximum 40 hectares of potatoes. So we've grown the potato side of the farm considerably over the past 10 years, as we've seen it changes year by year, but it's a relatively stable market to be in, depending on how you manage things. And I I know I will eat my word some years in that, uh, but other years it works out okay. In terms of combinable crops, that makes up the the bulk of our area, probably takes the least management, uh, as, as will be the same in most farms of this type. It's mostly winter crops with some spring barley for, for malting. All of the winter crops goes for feed. And then we also grow oilseed rape as well. So fairly traditional rotation for this part of Scotland. And on top of that, and kind of sits off by itself on the farm, we have a poultry farm which consists of 32,000 free range layers. This was, this sits as a separate entity. It was kind of my first big project when I came home to the farm. In 2016, got a contract, got planning permission for it and built it and it became operational in April 2018. So we are fully five years into that now. And the muck from the poultry enterprise is used to establish our winter crops in the summer. So it's fantastic. We don't we don't need to put down any artificial fertilizer actually with with our winter crops, which is really great for this for the ones that are established in the summer. That really works in well with the kind of circular economy there on our own little piece of land. So yeah, that's that's roughly what we do in terms of renewable sorry, so the non-farming activities we have a wind turbine which was put up in 2012, biomass boiler which does all of our heating including grain drying, uh, heating the grading shed because we grade all of our potatoes. It'll be very rare that we let a load of potatoes leave without us grading it and also our cottages and farmhouse. So that all runs off of wood chip which we buy in. That became operational in January 2016. We also have about, I think it's 350 kilowatts of solar panels between the poultry and the cold stores and a 1.2 megawatt ground source heat pump, which is solely for use at the poultry site. Uh, so we're reasonably diversified. I, I, want to die, I want to expand the renewable side of the business over the next few years because electricity is very expensive. 
having seen what's happened to the price of inputs on both sides of the business, meaning poultry and potatoes, over the last year, I'm heartened by the fact that the price of wind and the price of sunshine will never go up. So that's why I'd like to expand more into those areas. There's been a lot of discussion, as you say, in the potato sector about how you run your cold stores and, and the cost. And it's good to see you invested in the renewables. Did you find it quite difficult to get them established initially and to get the planning permission to put them in? Solar panels, no, they're all roof mounted. I, I'm a big fan of roof mounted solar panels. If we could get field skill, that would be very good. The wind turbine was very tricky. It's only 80 kilowatts. We wanted something much bigger, but we weren't allowed because of the planning constraints at the time. However, with the new planning policy that's come out, MPF4, I think that they put more of a favour onto renewable projects. So hopefully we can get some meaningful electricity generation from wind turbines going forward on that. But yeah, planning was the biggest constraint. But it's it's been not too bad and we're, we're still trundling along the road as well. Now, what I really love about your story is the fact that you've been increasing your potato um, area. Obviously, that's something that's quite a positive story for the sector. Potatoes have had quite a concern for many farmers. Talk us through some of the varieties that you're growing and how you've been making the decision on what varieties to grow in that area that you've increased. Um, so our main variety by far is Maris Piper, and, and that's mostly because that's that's our main wear variety. I, I don't mind gambling. However, if I'm going to gamble, I'd rather go down to the casino in Dundee and it's over in an evening. So when we started expanding the potato area, the, the first thing I did was get contracts, fixed price contracts for specific ones. So most of our potato production is on a fixed price contract. We haven't just been blindly uh, expanding over the past few years in the hope that somebody's going to pay us, you know, 400 quid a ton late season for them. And how I managed to get those contracts was I just approached people who are in procurement positions. When would you like potatoes? Uh, five years ago, not a lot of people wanted to, to take contracts. So I suppose we were reasonably early into that to, to, you know, to kind of embrace these contracts and get a, a reasonable amount of tonnage fairly quickly. Um, so, so that was quite good. And, and now, you know, this coming year, we've got even more on, on a fixed price contract, rightly or wrongly. But it's nice to have that there as, as a kind of backstop. And it means that the packers will probably, you know, they'll, they'll give you a ring first if, if they do need some free buy, if you're already an approved supplier and they've had your, their stocks through the door. But obviously a big test for the forward contracts was last year when the input prices just rose so dramatically, exponentially. In fact, we had to renegotiate prices for this coming year. That is where the prices can go so wrong when you're kind of blindsided by something like what we had last year. Uh, and it's so important that the customers can understand the need for a price increase, the need for a fair price, a sustainable price, because we've seen what's happened in the poultry side, where all last year the, the cost increases were so much quicker. Uh, so you're so much quicker to go out of business. And a lot of people just didn't restock. And now we find ourselves with all of these fantastic facilities for producing eggs throughout the country and no hens in them because so many people were losing so much money last year. Uh, so that is a very good uh, example of why the contracts need to be at the right price. And the contracts that you secured, Matthew, where do your potatoes go? Where's the supply chain? We try to do all prepack. We don't have any processing contracts because we're very lucky uh, in this part of the world that we've got nice soil that can store potatoes to the late season. It's Branston Morrison's in Greenville, 
are our three customers in the parking side. And we're on a Tesco direct contract with Branston. And do you find, obviously, Branston quite big up in Scotland, all three of them are, are quite big, but do you find that potatoes has obviously been something that has always been a staple in the household, but are you finding that they're more strict in terms of the requirements than the supermarkets? Is there a higher specification that you've been required um, to meet? Yeah, it, it's it's very tight. You know, you can even get potatoes rejected now for being having a dull appearance <laughs> in their skin. That's something I think that needs to change going forward and that's something I'd like to see us try to negotiate is actually a higher price still for packing potatoes the much higher risk I feel it's a much higher risk growing them there's so much that could go wrong and I even thought about taking out insurance for a dull potato I mean can you imagine how crazy that conversation would be with with your insurer you know just in case they don't take May and June's contracts and I've lost half a million quid or something then it's it's a very strict some years unachievable quality tolerance to make. Where do your um, seed potatoes go? Uh, our seed potatoes go to Egypt mainly, so that's the very early season. We've we've always done that market, mostly Cara and Hermes to to Egypt, and it, it's had its ups and downs as well. But it's quite a steady market, and and you get everything out the door almost as soon as it's in and cured type thing. And do you find, obviously you've mentioned there you've got great soil in Angus, do you find that there's a lot of pressure with blight and do you get much disease? Touch food, there's blight every year. I think we work very closely with our agronomist and we keep quite a tight and probably more expensive than some blight control programme. The biggest probably pressure in Angus is PCN because of the historic nature of how the ground was farmed. It was tatted as we would say every four years in some cases and still is in some areas so PCN is a bit of a problem but hopefully the science is going to catch up there uh, and there's some you know PCN resistant and tolerant varieties on the market now which if the retailers packers can can get them on their list could really help with that but um, we, 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 we keep fairly um, spacious if that's the right word rotations uh, so, so we're six and seven years on our, our own ground with the PCN, are you doing anything in the way of sort of, um, you know, wildflower strips or anything to try and sort of combat that in terms of with biodiversity? So, yeah, we, we, we do what's required when it comes to uh, buffer strips. In terms of PCN, so we grow cover crops on our own ground immediately before potatoes go in, but we don't do that for PCN. I mean, we could grow mustard, but we grow other things. And it is purely to, we, put, we graze sheep in it and it's purely to try and boost organic matter. In the soil, uh, in terms of controlling PCN, I might put in mustard this year. I'm not sure. This year, I'm growing a, a variety for multiplication called Elland, and it has a very good resistance and tolerance to Pallida PCN. So I'm hoping that if we do have a problem, then we could, you know, put in that variety into the problem parts of the field. And I've been told it really cleans it up. So that sounds like a sustainable way forward uh, to to help clean up the PCN problem. And you've mentioned sustainability a few times today. Um, it's something that in the potato sector, there's always a question mark over because obviously we're moving the soil so much in potatoes. Do you think potatoes can meet the requirements for sustainability and everything that we're trying to achieve globally? Of course they can. Yeah, <laughs> I, we, we measure our organic matter and, and we're sitting at, you know, kind of three and a half, four in some areas. And that's on an arable rotation. I think that 
if, if you're not ridiculous with the rest of your rotation, it, it doesn't really matter if you rip it up every six or seven years. You know, as I said earlier, we, we have the cover crops, we have the hen manure, we incorporate straw. The, the soil can be looked after as well as conventionally, traditionally establishing your potatoes, i.e. not mint-till potatoes or no-till potatoes. And I don't know the facts and figures in this, Rebecca, but I've been told that potatoes are actually very carbon-friendly. Anyway, they're, they're some of the most the friendliest foods for the environment you can get <laughs> in terms of in terms of their carbon footprint. So that that's always got to bode well. So obviously you've talked a lot about picking good varieties and you've mentioned a really strong blight programme. Do you find that you have much in the way of weeds? Do you do much with herbicide management? Yeah, so that is all left to our agronomist. We have a chat before they come through the ground about what we're going to use. Yeah, got to be so on that. Just going back to the variety selection, I mean, we, we grow Maris Piper because that's effectively what we're asked to grow by the contracts. Um, pe- people seem to still love Maris Piper, so as long as they're buying it, that's what we're that's what we're going to sell. Do you feel quite positive about the perspective with potatoes? That's subjective, depending on the time of year uh, and, and the season. So at the minute, I'm relatively positive about the potato sector because supply's tight, so the phone is ringing. But last summer, it was horrendous. You just couldn't shift potatoes for love nor money. And yeah, we were left with a lot, which was a big loss. Um, I think that it's a good product. The cost of living crisis is a term that's banded around quite a lot. It's a very cheap source of food. It's very healthy. It's good for the planet, I think. Is there a job to be done in the marketing there around the carbon side of things? Yes. We need to get the retailers involved to fund that and get that message out there. We can gather the data. We are there to facilitate the gathering of the data, which is uh, worth a lot of money in itself when it comes to that kind of thing. What's happening in the field at the moment? I think you've just finished planting, if I'm right. Um... No, we're not finished yet. Yeah, we, we've been rained off today. <laughs> Yeah, tell us a little bit what's happening at the moment on the farm in terms of potatoes. What have you got left to do? So I'm going to work in acres again. Um, we're almost finished our weir planting. We've, we've ballpark, we've planted 150, 120 to go. Yeah, so it's just been, I mean, my father is much older than I am, obviously. <laughs> and he, he was saying that it's the worst spring he's ever remembered. Uh, and he's stayed in Angus for 34 years. Um, and before that, he farmed down uh, in the central belt. He didn't say that it was the worst spring he's had it overall, but yeah, certainly the worst he's had. I can only talk about my little segment of the market, and, and that's in packing. And there needs to be a real understanding that we need to have uh, higher contract prices for um, the packing market going forward. And I don't work for a retailer, but you know, they sell in kilograms, so they sell in pence per kilogram, we sell in pounds per tonne. The likes of a 10p a kilogram uh, makes all the difference to us in pounds per tonne when it comes to, to growing it. And as I said earlier, some years we are oversupplied, and being oversupplied with food is no bad thing, by the way, because I think that we take food for granted. There's over a billion people in the world that are in real food poverty. For those years where the likes of your potatoes are rejected because they look dull, we really need to maximise in the years where we do get the contracts all shifted to make up for, for years that, that's lost. So I, I just think that in this country, we're in such a, an ideal place to grow foods with the climate that we have. I'm complaining about the weather, 
But I was in Chile in November and there's parts of Chile that can't grow food anymore because there's no water. We have lots of water. We have the, we have the resources, we have the infrastructure, we have the finance. Let's produce food because we're good at it and let's export it if we have too much. You've mentioned there about a cost for living crisis, but you've also mentioned Chile. And I gather you're heading off to Ukraine on Monday. Tell us a little bit about why you're going to yes. Ukraine. So I'm part of an initiative called Pickups for Peace, which is run by farmers. It is kind of mostly involving farmers. I was out in Ukraine in March as part of this. By the way, if you Google Pickups for Peace, we have a Just Giving page and we're also on LinkedIn and other social media. So I'd give that a look if you're interested in helping the war efforts in Ukraine. But yeah, so I was out in March. Uh, our farm donated an 07 plate discovery, which I drove out to Ukraine to Lviv and handed over to the army out there, which is absolutely fascinating. They're, they're an amazing bunch of people, an amazing country of citizens. Off the back of that trip, I was kind of inspired to spend more money and donate another vehicle, which I am driving out on Monday uh, to Lviv to basically do the same trip again. It's a great initiative. Um, we had a quick kind of back of the fag packet pub count up last Sunday with one of the organisers, and they reckoned it's been roughly between the value of the trucks and the cash donated is about half a million quid that's come from mostly the UK farming community, which is a fantastic story because a lot of people would agree that farmers seem to be very good at moaning. And that is very much the public image that we have as an industry sometimes is that, oh, the farmers are moaning. But that is not who we are as a people. It's just a really incredible act to do and to support the Ukrainians who, who need all the help they can get, quite frankly. Well, what an amazing thing to support and thank you for playing your part in supporting the Ukrainian um, team. Very small part. And I did think that when I was driving, because you have a lot of time to think when you're driving across Europe uh, with nothing but Spotify for a company. And you know, I was kind of thinking, like, how much use is this old Land Rover going to be? But when you saw the reaction of the army when we handed them over and just how grateful they were for the support, not just in the form of the vehicles, but in the fact that there's people who don't need to think about them or thinking about them. It was so humbling to see. So although it is a very small part and it, it really is the government giving 46 billion or whatever in the UK government with all the help that they're giving, it means a lot to the Ukrainians, this, these small acts of kindness that, that we're doing as well, which was, which was yeah, gratifying to see as well. Well, amazing. it's amazing. And I hope you have a very safe journey on Monday. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Now, before we end, we always ask our participants for their favorite potato dish um so do you have one do you have a favorite potato dish that includes a potato um loads <laughs> uh stovies uh, i had stovies the other day they were delicious sometimes mince and tanties is just fantastic but yeah a nice dauphinois if, if you're going more up market a nice dauphinois or uh tartiflette or something potatoes are universal uh, they, they have many uses and I think they're undervalued. And I suppose I've got to ask, uh, just for everybody listening, what is a stovie? Um, I know what a stovie is, but if you don't know what a stovie is, what's stovies? I've never actually made stovies, so it's, it's like meat and vegetable together. It's quite a Scottish dish, I suppose, but very hearty, cheap to make, filling and delicious. That sounds amazing. And I'm sure um, everybody will be tucking into some potatoes this week. So thank you so much for joining us, uh, Matthew, and uh, safe journey to Ukraine next week.
Thank you very much. If you enjoyed listening to today's Perfecting Potatoes Together podcast, why not tune in to some of the previous episodes, which you can find on the BASF website by visiting the Perfecting Potatoes Together page. In the meantime, we wish you the best with the rest of the season and look forward to our next podcast next month.